Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You're listening to the Archaeology Show. TAS goes behind the headlines to bring you the real stories about archaeology and the history around us. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Archaeology Show, episode 236. On today's show, we talk about the UNESCO World Heritage Sites of Split, Dubrovnik, and Kotor. Let's dig a little deeper. I don't have anything to say. I didn't even think about it. Give me a second. Let's dig a little deeper and not split our topics. Well, that's staying in for sure. (laughs) Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm not going to ask you how it's going because you, <laughs> you know, know how it's going. I do know how it's going. Literally <laughs> We've every been second. Together, every minute of every day for the last like two weeks. It's been a lot. <laughs> Which is so weird because we live in an RV. We're always together every minute of every day, but this yeah. has been somehow different. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, right now, just to put some context on the audio, although not to toot my own horn, if you want a podcast produced, I usually do a pretty good job. But it's very echoey in this room we're in because the kitchen is the best room to do this in this Airbnb we're at. Yep. The refrigerator is easily 25 years old and it just came on and makes a lot of noise. It does. And it's warm in here. So we've got the window open. We do. Yeah. And we're yeah. downtown Naxos. Yeah. An island in the Cyclades mm-hmm. island chain in the Greek islands. Yes. It's one of the biggest islands. I think maybe the biggest island. Well, in Crete's this. the biggest island. Well, Crete's not part of this chain, oh, technically. Yeah, it's its yeah. own thing. So I think it's the biggest island in this chain. And we're in their sort of capital town. And it's one of those really cute, all white and blue <laughs> yeah. cities that you think of on a Greek island. So and it's really his- cool. Historically, it's the origin of some of the Greek gods. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely some origin stories that came out of here. Yeah. And like we're looking out the window in the kitchen right now and I can see the Portara, which is the remains of a temple to Apollo. Yeah. Like I literally can see archaeology from the window right now currently. It looks like the entrance too. It does. Actually. Yeah, probably it yeah. was because it's facing the ocean, right? And the rest of it was behind well, it. So, or not, sorry, not the ocean, the sea. The sea. The yes. sea. There's a little hole in the bottom of it too and some kind of steps on the other yeah. side. So. Which we were thinking like, you know, we're in this place with all this classical archaeology. There's so much to talk about. But I think there might actually be be too much to talk about so something (laughs) like that which we did go visit and walk around i don't even think it's going to get a feature on this podcast because i think it just did i think that was it (laughs) we we mentioned it but honestly there's not a whole lot else to say and also there's just too much we've seen too much we have done too much and we love to share our experiences about these places that we're going so yeah that was that. <laughs> and we've got some more stuff to talk about with Greece we in do. some future yeah. episodes. We will, for sure. We're doing a, a bus tour around Naxos tomorrow. There's a lot of stuff here. There's another I'm, temple that we're going to go see. Yeah. And, yeah. and we haven't even been to the archaeology museum yet, which we'll probably do on Friday at this point. Yep. And because it's Wednesday as we're recording this, you need to know that. But yeah. 
Yeah. It's we only a, have a couple days left though, really. Yeah, and Saturday. This is the working vacation part of our trip. Yeah. So we're trying to like get the sightseeing in in the morning and then we're working in the evening so that we're crossing over with the American yeah. time zones. So that's what we're doing. Ugh. I had meetings last night from about yeah. 530 to midnight. Yeah. Because yeah. that's all West Coast. Morning. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So, so that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. <laughs> that's a longer yeah. life update than we usually do, but it's yeah. sort of an interesting situation that we're in right now. Well, and it provides context too, because yeah. as some of you may know, we were on a cruise ship last week. Yes. I think we mentioned this on the last episode because we recorded on we the recorded, ship, didn't well, we? Well, no, we recorded, oh, we recorded a couple ahead of time so that we wouldn't yeah. have to on the ship because right. that was our real vacation. So I don't remember if we mentioned it or not, but yeah, but yeah last week was a real vacation on a cruise ship. And it turns yeah. out we encountered a lot of archaeology while on that ship, too. Yeah. So um, before we get started with that, though, we'll put a link to this in the show notes. Somebody that has been on this podcast and yeah. him and I have actually done some episodes where of another show that we did together. And we brought those onto this before Rachel joined. Yeah. And yeah. I think Richie may have even been on since we've been on here. Yeah. He yeah. was on with us at one point, I yeah. think. And he's just been around the, the yeah. APN for a long time. He's part of the, the crew, you know? Right. Well, I got to say, Richie had some disturbing health news coming on a few weeks ago now. Mm-hmm. And he's got, he's got stage three cancer. Yeah, he's pretty open about it. So if you know him, I'm sure you know about it. And if you don't, you can go read about it on the archaeology field work. What is it? No, archaeology. Archaeofield Techs Facebook group. Facebook group. Um, Otherwise, we're going to link to the GoFundMe page that he's got set up because he has got medical bills that are stacking up. He does have insurance, but it doesn't pay for everything. Yeah. And he's trying to get some work done, but he's so fatigued while he's going through chemo. He just needs to make it through all the chemo and the radiation until I think it's like March or something Mm -hmm. like that. But he's got a GoFundMe page up that as we're recording, this was nearly half funded. Yeah. So it's interesting because this is exactly what you worry about as a field tech, right? Because you just don't always have a safety net when something like this happens. And honestly, like almost why would you, he's very young, he's in his thirties. And so this is just the kind of thing that we have to support our fellow fellow people working in the field. So, yeah. So for the rest of the month of October, it's the fourth as we're recording this and this comes out on the eighth, I think. So you're listening to this on the eighth, hopefully. Mm -hmm. Uh, But for the rest of the month of October, even if the GoFundMe, I think they'll just keep going once it gets fully funded. Mm -hmm. But we'll keep a link to that in our show notes. And we're probably going to put a link on the main page of the Archaeology Podcast Network website. Mm -hmm. But also at the top of the APN website, if for some reason you don't want to do GoFundMe or something like that, if you choose to do a donation to the APN, all donations we receive through the end of October will send over to Richie's GoFundMe page. Nice. So Perfect. Yeah. All right. Well, with that... Talking about the cruise last week, again, first off, it was Virgin Voyages, and it's only the second cruise I've ever been on, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to talk about that too much. That's not the focus of this show, but it was an amazing cruise. It really was. Yeah. It was way different from the other ones that I've done in the past, because yeah. I've done a few more, and I had kind of sworn off of cruises because they were right. not great, <laughs> the ones we did in the past, but this was a totally different yeah. experience. So. The culinary experience, the attention to detail, the... Yeah. 
everything. You can see if you follow our Roadster Adventures Instagram page how I took over the ship yeah. for a little while. Um, I, you I, wish. I stormed the bridge. Right, and, right. Uh, you know, they let me captain for a bit. You paid so, a lot of money and they let you walk up there, you mean? Yeah. All right then. <laughs> well, feel free to reach out to us if you want to hear more yeah. about why we like this cruise so much. Because cruises get a lot of shade sometimes. So. Yeah. But we won't go on about that anymore. Right. The cool thing about this cruise is that we had four different port stops and we knew where we were going. But what we didn't realize is that all four of those stops are actually UNESCO World Heritage sites yeah. for various different reasons. So we wanted to use this episode today to cover those stops. We'll cover three of them and just kind of like share our experiences while mm-hmm. we were at these places and also a little bit about what makes them special and why they are on the World Heritage List. So, yeah. yeah. The first two were actually in Croatia, a place neither of us had ever been to. Yep. And you know what? If I thought of Croatia, if you asked me to describe it, I would have, honestly, with my knowledge of Croatia, which is zero, <laughs> I actually have more knowledge of Croatia through, what is it? Uh, oh, no, that's Azerbaijan. I was thinking of Baku and Formula One. Oh, well, Formula yeah. One that's doesn't Azerbaijan. go to Croatia. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I yeah. didn't have any knowledge of it. I'm well, it's, my geography knowledge of that part of the world, this like Mediterranean, yeah. Eastern Europe area, is and, like so sketchy. And we'll get into this, but my knowledge is wartime. Yeah, uh, because I was, all the stuff in the nineties, right? right? Yeah, I was off the coast of Croatia and Bosnia, and uh, and all that back in nineteen ninety six mm-hmm. when I was on the Enterprise in the Navy. So. In fact, well, we got a we got medals for being out there because it was a war zone. It definitely yeah. was, and like that totally connects in because I there's a lot of we'll talk about this a little bit mm-hmm. more, but there's a lot of stuff that happened in the '90s, and I was a teenager, and I didn't I didn't really like track a that lot of too. it, but reading back about it now, it was just it's just really interesting to learn that history and where it comes from and, and everything. So yeah. we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit. It's very long and complicated, but we'll, yeah. we'll briefly cover it. So, yeah. All right. Well, the first place we went to was split. Yes. And let's just read the UNESCO write up about split. I'll uh, give you a little bit of a, a start here. Yes. So according to UNESCO, the historical complex of split with the palace of Diocletian, that's what the UNESCO that's like site the name is. Of it, yeah. yeah. Um, the ruins of Diocletian's palace built between the late 3rd and the early 4th centuries AD, can be found throughout the city. The cathedral was built in the Middle Ages, reusing materials from the ancient mausoleum. 12th and 13th century Romanesque churches, medieval fortifications, 15th century Gothic palaces, and other palaces in Renaissance and Baroque style make up the rest of the protected area. And it's the second largest city in Croatia. Yeah, isn't that crazy? So you just listed out all of these important pieces of architecture, pieces, architectural structures. Yeah, pieces. (laughs) Pieces, you know, whatever. Going from the third century all the way up to Renaissance era. Like, you know, 1,500 years of history. And it was so cool walking around that city. Mm -hmm. I I felt like you could really feel that age and also the different time periods, too, when you were walking through it. Yeah. So it was founded by the Greeks in the either 3rd or 2nd century BCE. But then the Romans came in. And around 305 CE, the Roman emperor Diocletian built his palace there. And that's why it's called called yeah. the Diocletian's Palace. And we're going to sort of pepper in some some of our experiences there. We did take a tour of we did. Diocletian's Palace. Mm-hmm. And the first entrance into like the old town and straight into the palace was right off kind of the main drag by the port area there. Yeah. And you just kind of walk through this dark 
entranceway mm-hmm. and it opens up into this underground cavern mm-hmm. where there's a whole bunch of shops set up. Yeah. And these amazing like arched ceilings way yeah. high above you too. And it was so hot outside and so cool down there too. Mm-hmm. So like this crazy like temperature control thing was going on. It was very dark too. So yeah. I'm sure that helped. But yeah, you could just really see that ancient architecture when you're walking through that gate and then into the city from there. And if you want to know what it looks like, you can go watch Game of Thrones, which will come up in segment two, because apparently <laughs> that was, I can't remember if, if it was. Oh yeah. Uh, the guide mentioned it, didn't she? Yeah. yeah I, can't I think remember. it was the, the dragon keep under King's Landing, I think. Yeah. Or something like that. I think you're yeah. right. Something and like that. That's where the dragons were. They made yeah. it look a lot bigger than it really is, they although did. it's pretty big. Yeah. Because they used a lot of shadows and things like that. It's it's huge ceilings. Yeah. Like it's very surprising how tall it is because yeah. you kind of go down and then you're under these buildings, right. but the t- the ceilings are very tall. Yeah. So. All right. So 300 years later, by 650 CE, this was a prominent settlement and became the capital of the Roman province of Dalmatia. Mm-hmm. They were very black and white about the whole thing. It was uh, <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> province, right? <laughs> Dalmatians do come from Dalmatia, right? I would like, assume. Originally. Our guide mentioned it, but it sounds like they don't have a lot of them now. It, but anyway. It makes me wonder if yeah. people from Dalmatia are also called Dalmatians. Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. Anyway. So this city split, it drifted sort of from empire to empire, kind of just being under the control of whoever had control of the region. Right. And eventually it became part of Venice near the end of the Middle Ages. And it basically stayed that way until a uh, short little guy (laughs) known as Napoleon came in and conquered the area in 1797. You know, I read something not long ago that said that Napoleon wasn't actually He wasn't actually all that short. Yeah, Yeah, he was depicted that that way and he was more of average height. (laughs) Right. I I heard that too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, After Napoleon, it was part of the Austrian kingdom of Dalmatia Mm -hmm. until it fell in 1918. So that was Mm -hmm. kind of a long time. And that's when... Yugoslavia was formed. Yes. You guys and may the, have heard of that. Yes. And the 1918 thing was when the Ottoman Empire basically came to an end. Because right. I think it was sort of under the the protection of that area. Or there was a lot of wars and stuff going on. And yes, they that all, was one of the things that happened in 1918. They all converted to recliners. So the <laughs> end of the Ottoman Empire was... Oh, you're terrible. Come on. That you're the worst. Good. I don't know if that was yeah. good. So Yugoslavia was formed, and then during World War II, it was annexed by Italy, and then it was liberated, (laughs) and then it was reoccupied again by Germany this time, I think, and that sort of happened a couple times throughout World War II. It was just sort of like taken, yeah, it was taken and then then liberated and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, after the end of World War II, it became Yugoslavia again, Mm -hmm. or part of Yugoslavia. Yugoslavia was a much bigger country back then, and it it encompassed Croatia plus a bunch of the other countries around it. Yeah. But things were not good in Yugoslavia, from what I understand. Well, it wasn't, and you always heard a whole bunch of... Whole bunch of bad things and conflict yeah. and things coming out of Yugoslavia when it was a country. And by 1991, Croatia though had pretty much had enough and yeah. declared its independence from Yugoslavia. Yes. And now it's an independent country. Yeah. 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 So that's kind of like the quick history of Split and also Croatia in general. We just wanted to touch on that. We're not trying to like go into all the the world politics around what was happening in that time. Just yeah. suffice it to say, and it was interesting talking to the guides because we had a guide both in Split and then in Dubrovnik, which we're going to talk about next, who sort of almost touched on a little bit what it was like to, because they're, you know, in 40s-ish age, and they sort of touched on it a little bit about what it was like to grow mm-hmm. up in this area. Like our, our one guide in Dubrovnik was like, 
he's seen four different currencies in his <laughs> lifetime. And yeah. it's, it's because of this. It's because they were Yugoslavia and then they were Croatia. Yeah. And yeah. then Croatia just went to the Euro this and year. And they just went to the Euro. Yeah. yeah. So like, there's just a lot of like, and he said, he was so funny about it. He was like, they just sort of shrugged their, shr- their shoulders and sort of go along with it yeah. because they've had so much change and, that kind of thing happening. So, yeah. I can't remember if it was in Dubrovnik or Split, but one of the restaurants we went to had prices in three different currencies. Yeah, they did. I yeah. don't remember which one it was. Well, but it was yeah. definitely euros. And then the, I think Croatia had something Krona. called, it was a Corona, like, like other countries call yeah. it the same thing. Yeah. And then there was something else that I don't know what that was. They might've had pounds yeah. or something on there as well. I, don't know. I can't remember, but yeah. Yeah. yeah three it's, different currencies. It, you know, if you're calculating your money in three different currencies, like that's, yeah. yeah, that, that tells you a lot about what they've gone through yeah. from a political standpoint in the last few decades. Right. So, yeah. There's one cool note about the palace is that it's totally almost completely incorporated into the like regular life yeah. of society now. Cause you can see old parts of the palace. You can see new parts that have been kind of redone. You can see new structures sitting on top of parts of the palace Yes, yeah. where people just live or yep. there's businesses. And even though it's UNESCO world heritage site, it's not stopping people from living there yeah. and just doing their own thing. Totally. You know, and we were walking around all these little alleyways and things like that. Go check out our stories. I'm not trying to push our Rosary Adventures page, but we do, we yeah, do put we a lot put of a stuff bunch. up in the stories. Yeah. Yeah. So. Maybe we can bring a couple of those photos over into the, into the show notes uh, too. I don't know so. if we'll do that. Just go over there. So, <laughs> Anyway. Yeah. But yeah. it's really cool if you, we'll link to the Wikipedia page because that is a great like one stop quick overview. Yeah. And you can see this artist's reconstruction basically of mm-hmm. what it looked like, you know, a hundred years ago or 200 years ago where it was basically just the wall of the fortress mm-hmm. and then just like the water yeah. just like right there, just coming right up to the edge of it. So that was really interesting the way it, I guess they were protected on one side by mm-hmm. the water. So that was, that was done on purpose well, like that. And that's been crazy built out now. It has a whole port there now. So. Yeah. There's like yeah. a street and everything in front of it now, yeah. but the way it was back then, you know, they only had three sides to protect instead of right. four. So, yeah. All right. Well, that's all the time we have now. And I'm getting kind of a chill because winter is coming <laughs> and we're going to Dubrovnik <laughs> next back in a minute. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Welcome back to the Archaeology Show, episode 236. And we're talking about Croatia 
and some other places. Yeah, this is your tour of UNESCO World Heritage Sites in the Adriatic Sea. Not sponsored by Virgin Voyages. (laughs) Not at all, (laughs) but they did take us there. Right. Okay, as with Split, I'll go ahead and read the UNESCO write-up for Dubrovnik. Yeah. Dubrovnik is south of Split, Mm -hmm. still on the coast, of course, and we were able to basically go right pier side up in Dubrovnik, just like we did in uh, Split. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of crazy to see a huge boat like that just... Hey, just like we're here. Docking right yeah. there. Yeah. And yeah. actually, it's interesting that in Dubrovnik, the ship didn't actually dock in Dubrovnik. It was called Gruz, the Gruz port. Yes. I think it might still be like Dubrovnik outskirts. It is. It's but we had to take edge. a shuttle bus like 15 minutes. It's like over they to the built a larger port to accommodate yeah. the larger ships that were coming yeah. in. So that's where we were parked and then parked. Sure. Parked. Sure. We were docked. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, we yeah. had like a 20 minute ride to get over to the Old Town area, which. Right. Uh, not to spoil it, but this was definitely like my highlight yeah. of all the ports. I loved this one so much, but go on, read yeah, the UNESCO cool. thing. All right. So UNESCO called it the Pearl of the Adriatic. Situated on the Dalmatian coast, it became an important Mediterranean sea power from the 13th century onwards. Although severely damaged by an earthquake in 1667, Dubrovnik managed to preserve its beautiful Gothic, Renaissance, and Baroque churches, monasteries, palaces, and fountains. Damaged again in the 1990s by armed conflict, it is now the focus of a major restoration program coordinated by UNESCO. So that, I noticed this when I was copying this in, that write-up clearly hasn't been updated in 20-ish years Uh. (laughs) because the restoration efforts have been concluded as far as UNESCO is concerned and the city is good again. And I think they finished them sometime in the late 90s slash early 2000s. So um, they just... You know, it's a big operation. They just haven't updated their write-up, I suppose. But yeah. Yeah. So like we said, this is located in Croatia's Dalmatian coast on the Adriatic Sea, like Split. And it was added to UNESCO's list of World Heritage Sites in 1979. And the reason was because of the outstanding medieval architecture in the fortified old town. And it sounds like this one is not quite as old as Split. It doesn't have the Roman and Greek roots like it does, but, you know, it's still mm-hmm. definitely pretty old. Yeah, and I mentioned that it, the write-up says it was a Mediterranean sea power from the 13th century onwards, but mm-hmm. the city itself dates back to around the 7th century. Oh, okay, so yeah. At least as far as probably a city goes. I'm willing yeah. to bet there were people there well before that. Yeah, for yeah. sure, yeah. But uh, then it was called Ragusa. I don't know if we're saying that right, but R-A-G-U-S-A. Mm-hmm. And it was under the protection of the Byzantine Empire. Yep. Yep. By the 14th century, it ruled itself as a free state, the Republic of Ragusa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I thought this Ragusa versus Dubrovnik thing was interesting. The names seem to have been used inter- interchangeably mm-hmm. for centuries until Ragusa finally fell out of favor sometime in the 1800s. So by this 14th century, it was also kind of being called Dubrovnik also Ragusa, so you kind of see them being used together. And I didn't really quite get the reason for that. Maybe one was the larger area and then Dubrovnik was just the the city or the fortified part of the city or something, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. But but yeah, they're kind of interchangeable in the older texts about, about the area. Right. So by the 15th and 16th centuries, it was a very wealthy maritime society. Doing well until... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, 1667, where we mentioned in the write-up, it was almost completely destroyed by an earthquake. I can't actually believe that language, almost completely destroyed, because so much of it, I mean, sure, it's still 400 years after that, but, Mm -hmm. well, mostly. But it's, um, yeah, it's just hard to imagine that it was 
That it was almost, yeah. Like, yeah. Well, I think they rebuilt most everything. And I think that's why a lot of the structures are in that sort of Renaissance style because they were rebuilt after this earthquake. And so of course they were rebuilt in that time, which is still very old and super yeah. interesting to us, yeah. <laughs> you know, a building from the 1670s, 80s, 90s when this was happening is still like amazing right. and worth preserving. But I think they did lose a lot of that earlier architecture that was there. There's a couple things left, but not, not a lot of it. Yeah. There's only a handful of things in the United States that are older than 1667. And I don't <laughs> yeah. even know if there's hardly anything that's still standing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Totally. I mean, there is, but it's not much. Yeah. Yeah. During the Napoleonic Wars, Dubrovnik was occupied by French forces, and the Republic of Ragusa was dismantled, and just like split, it became part of the Napoleonic Kingdom of Italy. Yeah. Which is why there's lots of pizza there. (laughs) Probably. There is a lot of pizza. All of these Mediterranean areas have adopted the pizza 100%. We've noticed that everywhere we've gone. So, yeah. So is the United States. Well, Pretty yeah. much everywhere in the world well, is Because it's delicious, right? Like, why wouldn't you love pizza? If you were to say, <laughs> what are the dominant foods in the world? Now, I've never been to any Asian countries, and I'm sure this wouldn't be true over there. Right. They I've probably been don't. to Africa. I've been to, you know, Mediterranean, been mm-hmm. to Europe and other places in Europe. Um, I know the Mediterranean's Europe, but like England, yeah. um, Norway, stuff like that. Obviously, United States, Mexico, Canada. I would say pizza, tacos, and burgers are pretty much everywhere. I know. I was just noticing here where we're at now in the Greek islands, there's a burger place like right down the street from us. So yeah, Yeah. (laughs) for sure. Some foods everybody loves. There's just no denying it. Although I had a burger in Peru in South America and Mm -hmm. it was awful. Guinea burger? This wasn't (laughs) guinea pig. This is like 20 years ago. Beef is not huge there. So like that was probably why. But anyway, I digress. So... Dubrovnik obviously has the same complicated history with Yugoslavia and communism, socialism, all that stuff that we sort of touched on in the first segment about Split. Mm -hmm. And as with Split, it all sort of fell apart in 1991 and Croatia declared its independence and Dubrovnik was caught up in those wars, obviously, along with Split and the rest of Croatia and the rest of those countries that were trying to break away from Yugoslavia at that time. Yeah, Croatia is fully democratic now. Yes, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I thought this was interesting. This is why UNESCO had Dubrovnik on its list of endangered properties for a while. But during the War for Independence, it was seriously damaged by shelling from the Yugoslav People's Army. And this, I don't have this in the notes here, but I did read this. One of the commanders of the Yugoslav People's Army was actually prosecuted for damaging a UNESCO World Heritage Mm. Site after the fact. I don't know if that ever went anywhere, but like they definitely started the proceedings and were like, you know, you can't do this. You can't do this to our world heritage. So it's like holding them accountable, but also like, I don't think there are any lasting or real consequences, but still at least, you know, you might think about damaging a site like this before you do it next time. Maybe. Yeah. Well, from about 92 to 98 with UNESCO's assistance, they repaired and restored all the damage Mm -hmm. and got it back up to back up to snuff basically and today especially because of the aforementioned game of thrones yes it is now a very popular movie filming and tourist destination i mean people probably love to go there before that but because of game of thrones people are specifically going there for that yeah Yeah. and here's where we transition to the pop culture part of our show a little bit (laughs) rather than the history and archaeology part of our show but we're both huge game of thrones fans and Yes, of course, we could have gone on like a history walking tour of Dubrovnik and seen all the old buildings, but we thought, 
let's be more fun and take a tour of Dubrovnik from a Game of Thrones filming locations perspective. (laughs) And it was amazing. Yeah, the cool thing about that is filming locations are not always the most popular parts of an area. They look for things that fit the scene. Yeah. You know, like I'll never forget one of the things that we saw was really just an entrance. It was an entrance to something. I can't mm-hmm. remember what it was. And it was like the steps and the little railing, but the inside of that thing in real life was completely different. Mm-hmm. And they shot that in a studio. Yeah. You know, they just liked the steps they and they the liked steps. the little arch there and things like that. So they just looked for these little things and there's no way we would have seen these really intricate details back in the, you know, the deep recesses of the town mm-hmm. without going on this tour specifically. Yeah, you for know, sure. A historical tour would have hit all the big things in the highlights, which would have been great, but yeah. I feel like we saw a lot more of the city. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And also one of so for our Game of Thrones fans out there, St. Lawrence Fort is mm-hmm. sort of adjacent to the old town yeah. area. And that is actually what served as King's Landing from the outside and some of the inside shots mm-hmm. too for the show. And well, the Red Keep specifically, I thought. Oh, I'm sorry. It? Yes. The Red yeah. Keep. Yeah. Yeah. Which I thought was great because it's the fort is not something like it's okay. It's a really cool old yeah. fort, but I don't think that we would have gone over to see that had we not done this tour. So like you said, it's kind of seeing places that you wouldn't normally spend time on, but, and by the way, there was a lot of CGI, right? Because there was a lot, the red keep is a huge tall castle and really just the base of it was the fort. Yeah. They, they threw a lot of towers and Mm -hmm. stuff on top of it to, to make the red keep for the show for sure. And not only that, but Dubrovnik has the sea on one side and a huge tall mountain on the other side. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking from the sea, all you can see is land on the other side because it's a mountain. They got rid of all that. Mm -hmm. None of that's in the show. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and they were very liberal with their definition of red keep because anywhere around the city of Dubrovnik, if they liked how it looked and they could shoot it so that it would look like it was part of the Red Keep, then they would do that. Yeah. So there were plenty of scenes that were shot over on the walls of Dubrovnik or in one of the other buildings or on the steps or whatever, yeah. like you said. And and those were meant to be the Red Keep, <laughs> big quotation marks, but they weren't actually. They also fake put it in the background of a lot of shots. They did. They, yeah. <laughs> the tour guide was super funny. He was, he was like, yeah, he was like, the Red Keep is now going to teleport over to here. <laughs> now it's going to teleport over to yeah. here. Yeah. So. Anyway, he was so great because he was an yeah. extra in the show. Yeah. And so we got his like personal experience of being an extra in several yeah. scenes. And I guess he did a lot of leaning and we got to hear all about how he leaned for 14 hours one day. And it was just, yeah. it was really, really entertaining to hear about the show from his perspective. Mm-hmm. So anyway, one of my favorite parts, and this was not at the St. Lawrence Fort. This was over in the old town area. And just so that you can get it, the geography in your mind because you've seen it in Game of Thrones but seeing it in person versus Game of Thrones is a little different because like you said they're teleporting <laughs> different buildings yeah. around yeah. but you've basically got the fort and then you have the port and the port is where you see like various different characters have conversations with people out you know at the end of this dock with boats and stuff in the background it's where Marsley, right the youngest the youngest daughter or Lannister. the only daughter of yeah the old the only Lannister daughter yeah. she takes off from there and Sansa has a really crazy conversation at the end of the port with somebody I don't I don't remember the dock. oh yeah at the end of the dock yeah. yeah yeah so that's that's after the fort in between the fort and the walls of the city and then you go over to the walls of the city and there's much more scenes that take place over on the walls of the city yeah. plus in the various buildings inside there too. And they're all super old. They're all Renaissance, medieval Mm -hmm. churches, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. 
and of course we saw where the walk of shame took place, you know, shame, shame, shame. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. And you got to go, I mean, I'm going to tell you, go check out our stories from yeah. <laughs> Facebook or sorry, Instagram, because, uh, one of the tour guides had like the bell that they used and for they, Cersei. Yeah. yeah, for Cersei. And then it was like, he was like supposed to point at her and yell shame and do the bell. And this guy just took it. He and did. His he, wife was like walking down the steps and he was just like, shame, shame, shame. I was like, <laughs> oh, I'm not recreating that scene right oh, now. So funny. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So the one thing we didn't really get to do in Dubrovnik was walk the walls of the of the city, which you can do. Yeah, and it's really cool. We didn't have time. We had to get back to the boat at that point, but like the, that circular enclosure where Daenerys is looking for her dragons, mm-hmm. which are, she's in Marine or something like that. She's not even in King's no. landing. She's across the sea, you know, but they filmed it there because yeah. that's what they do is they teleport things around. And that would have been really cool to see. We could see it from up above, but we couldn't, we didn't actually walk up to it. Well, and you reminded me of another scene they talked about that took place inside one of the, uh, uh, it's like a museum or something now, mm-hmm. but it was basically where old Danny was asking this guy for ships to get to King's oh, Landing. Oh yes, yeah. But she's doing it from within King's from, Landing. Yeah, she is. in reality. Which, yeah, yeah, which is super yeah. funny. Oh, in the other spot we saw that was you know everybody's favorite place in the show is the uh, place that Joffrey died. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> where he was poisoned. We got to see where the like wedding mm-hmm. brunch, I guess, was going on yeah. or that the, the celebration was happening. Right. That was in the fort. So we saw that area, too. Right. That was cool. Anyway, that's probably enough Game of Thrones talk because it's not actually archaeology, even though all these buildings that they were filming yeah. around are super old. But yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, Split and Dubrovnik, I'd at least heard of before because of various reasons. But KOTOR in Montenegro. Mm-hmm. I'd heard of Montenegro. I didn't, couldn't have told you anything about it or where nope. it was located, but yeah. never heard of KOTOR and uh, never really knew much about Montenegro. So we'll talk about that on the other side of the break. I got nothing clever to say. We're just going to do it. <laughs> Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks. Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, welcome back to episode 236 of the Archaeology Show, the Virgin Voyages Adriatic Edition. <laughs> and today we're... Today. Uh, now, you know what? I think every European person or European origin person who's listening to the show right now is just laughing their asses off at us because 
they live in these cities. They, they're around these cities all the time. They're familiar with medieval architecture and mm-hmm. castles and fortresses. But I guess for us, being from the U.S., where nothing is older than, you know, the 1600s, right. maybe a little bit more than Most that. Most things aren't maybe. older than the year t- 2005. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. it's just such a different experience yeah. to, like, walk out of the ports and into a castle. Yeah. It's, it was just such a cool thing to experience. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, KOTOR is technically part of two UNESCO World Heritage Sites. Yes. So I'll go ahead and read the first one, and you can read the second one. Mm-hmm. All right. So the first one is a natural and cultural historical region of KOTOR. Uh, in the Middle Ages, this natural harbor on the Adriatic coast in Montenegro was an important artistic and commercial center with its own famous schools of masonry and iconography. A large number of the monuments, including four Romanesque churches and the town walls, were seriously damaged by the 1979 earthquake, but the town has been restored, largely with UNESCO's help. And then the second one. The second one is the Venetian works of defense between the 16th and 17th centuries, Stato da Terra to Western Stato da Mar. This property consists of six components of defense works in Italy, Croatia, and Montenegro, KOTOR being one of the six. It spans more than 1,000 kilometers between the Lombard region of Italy and the eastern Adriatic coast. The fortifications through the Stato da Terra protected the Republic of Venice from other European powers to the northwest, and those of the Stato da Mar protected the sea routes and ports of the Adriatic Sea to the Levant. They were necessary to support the expansion and authority of the Serenissima, which I think is another word for Venice from what Mm. I was reading or understanding. Not sure. The introduction of gunpowder led to significant shifts in military techniques and architecture that are reflected in the design of so-called a la Moderna bastioned fortifications, which were to spread through Europe. So for this last one, basically KOTOR was a fortified city that was part of the Venetian empire. And the unique thing about it is that they started using guns. They started using guns and they created Mm -hmm. these bastions that were centered around using guns and gunpowder and all the weapons that come with gunpowder to, to protect the areas. A lot of them were hexagon in shape. This one, I don't believe it is fully hexagon. It might've been at some point, but it is hexagonal hexagonal. Hexagonal, yes. <laughs> Hexagonal, hexagonal. They Whatever. were not fully hexagon. However, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's what that is in reference to. And the first yeah. one is just being like a cool old city, basically. Sure. <laughs> yeah, Kotor itself is located in what they call Boca Katorska Bay on the Adriatic coast of Montenegro, of course. And again, we took a, a little bit of a tour that had nothing to do with Kotor, mm-hmm. but the guy had some pretty cool like facts. First off, yeah. Montenegro means mountains black in yeah. Latin. So the black mountains. Mm-hmm. And I guess one of the reasons was Latin speaking sailors back many hundreds, if not thousands of years ago would be sailing up to this. And just the way that they were so tall and imposing, and I'm, I'm willing to bet that when Shadowed. the sun was behind them, yeah. they were very silhouetted and they just yeah. looked like these big imposing black mountains. So yeah. they, called, they became Montenegro. Montenegro. And they are very tall. I think he oh, yeah. said 8,000 feet or something. something like the that, highest yeah. one goes up to. Yeah. So like, 
that's you know yeah that's that's some pretty big mountains right there that's 2000 feet higher than Lake Tahoe and yeah and they're right at the coast too yeah. like we're we're driving along this coastal road along the edges and there's a couple cities along there but then immediately just like jutting straight yeah. up into the air are these gigantic mountains Montenegro is a really small country you can cross it by air he said in about 15 minutes yeah <laughs> and it's uh it's really it's really tiny yeah um, it is. but because of how small it is and how mountainous it is, it's all mountains. Mm-hmm. There's only one really flat part, which we'll talk about a little later. Mm-hmm. And because of all the mountains, it is the third mountainous country in the world. Mm-hmm. And I think the other two, I can't remember what order they were in, were Nepal and I want to say somewhere in South America. I can't mm. remember what he said was the third. Yeah, I can't remember one. either. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway, yeah, it's just super crazy because the, the guy was also like, you know, in Montenegro, you can hang out on the beach uh, right time of year. You can hang out on the beach, go swimming in the Adriatic. Then you can go skiing yeah. up on one of their ski lifts. There was actually this big chairlift running all mm-hmm. year round that takes you up one of the hills from KOTOR there or near KOTOR. Mm-hmm. And then you can go, you know, walk through a, a jungle rainforest kind of thing. Yeah. Right. It's just like and all in one day. Finish your day having a glass of wine in a nice like right. temperate 70 degrees or something sure. probably, you know. Yeah, it's it just was, totally nuts. Yeah. It's just a small yeah. area with lots and lots of different climate zones right. going on for sure. And one of the cool things I thought because we, we got to see KOTOR from the sea quite a bit because our cabin on the ship was, um, the ship was kind of broadside to the land and we weren't pier side in this one. No, we, we had to take little tenders over to a dock because yeah. I think the ship was just too deep of a draft for uh, for coming into that harbor. Mm-hmm. But on the way, you know, as we were sitting there just looking at the city and looking at the mountains, and again, we've got some pictures up on uh, Instagram for this, you can see the crazy like straight up the hill fortifications that are the extension of the old walls of the city and the old town of Kotor, the old, the old town there, the walls just go straight up like halfway up the hill. And mm-hmm. there's like a little um, fort and fortification at the very top of it. And then it's all connected. You can actually mm-hmm. walk up. You can hike the whole these, thing if you wanted. Yeah. yeah. There's like these steps. Apparently it's hundreds of steps, mm-hmm. if not thousands. I don't remember how many yeah. there's lots, but there's hundreds and hundreds of steps. And yeah, you can go all the way up to the to the mm-hmm. top of that thing. It's not the top it, of the hill. The hill no, it's not the top of going. the hill. It's just the top of the <laughs> fortress. Yeah. And it didn't actually look like it would be that far, but it is extremely oh, yeah. steep. It's so there's straight up lots of steps. Every step yeah. is lifting and climbing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And apparently it's really steep too, the steps. Yeah. Are. I'd almost be yeah. more afraid coming down oh, on yeah. that because that's like yeah. just so steep. I would be worried about falling. So. But don't you love thinking about like how many people have walked up those steps though. Oh, yeah. That's what I love about coming to these, yeah. these crazy old cities like this. And you've got these worn divots in the middle of the steps where so many, They're so smooth. many people have walked. Yeah. yeah. It's just really, really cool to be part of that old yeah. history. That reminds me going back to Dubrovnik real quick. There's so many tourists in there. And one of the things the guy said about Dubrovnik is, you know, 10 years ago, 4,000 people lived inside the old city walls. Mm, now yeah. there's about 400 people that live inside there because it's all been sold off and made Airbnbs yep. and short-term rentals. Yep. And I think you saw something like just this year or just recently, the mayor or whatever of Dubrovnik said, yeah. no more rolly suitcases yeah. inside the city walls. Yeah. You have to either carry them or yeah. do something to get them there. I'm I like, think that's just going to spawn this entire industry of people with these big rubber tired carts, probably <laughs> luggage racks yeah. that you're going to have to hire somebody yeah. to move your luggage through the city. Yeah, totally. Yeah, Cause it's it, damaging the, the ground and it's loud. It was a noise ordinance basically yeah. to, and also to just like stop as many people from going in there. The thing is, is that, that, yeah, I don't, I don't feel like it would stop either. Yeah. It would suck, but I could have 
we have small luggage and I could yeah. definitely have picked mine up and carried it if I needed to, to avoid getting right. a fine or whatever the consequences were. Well, so plus the people of Dubrovnik, I don't, I don't think they want to stop people from coming in there. I mean, no. they turn their places into Airbnbs for a reason. Yeah. You know, they want to make money. Yeah. So. Anyway. Well, anyway, back to KOTOR. The other thing we notice here is that this one, I think, is just about the oldest of the towns we visited. It was first mentioned in 168 BCE, settled during the ancient Roman times, basically. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's got a long, similar history of being occupied and reoccupied by different countries throughout time. But the one thing I thought was interesting from our tour is our tour guide was saying how nobody's ever, you know, taken Montenegro. Right. But I think being taken is is different than like choosing to become part of right another yeah. country so yeah it's yeah a, i mean it apparently one of the reasons he was giving and i don't know historically how accurate this is but he was saying how montenegro has very few resources mm-hmm. you know because it's a small place yeah you know, what are they going to do mm-hmm. um, there's not a lot of farming there's yeah. not there's hardly any animals on there that are domesticated that mm-hmm. they have that are you know like farm animals mm-hmm. uh, there's not a lot of growing there it's just the terrain none of it is conducive to that mm-hmm. he also says montenegrins are extremely lazy and only work <laughs> about four hours a day if they can help it we would only say that if <laughs> Like we were basically given permission by right. the admittedly like 22 year old tour guide that was, right. that was yeah. helping us. But that's, that's yeah. according to him. In fact, he even said that there's uh there's almost no infidelity there because no man wants to do another man's job. <laughs> that's you what know he what? Said. I did not love that joke and I still don't love that joke. It's pretty funny. Because, well, yeah. there's a lot of reasons. I don't well, think I need to. <laughs> anyway, he said because of the fact that they have basically no resources, that yeah. the way Montenegro got their res- got their got the things that they needed was, was that they just pillaged other they towns. They went out and took them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He said so. That's what they got known for, basically. And maybe that's how it was so hard to take that militarily. Yeah, you know, they were just ready to fight. Yeah, so, they were, and yeah. obviously they had the terrain at their advantage. And Kotor right. itself is an extremely well fortified city. It was yeah. made that way. By the Venetians, in part, mm-hmm. they got a lot of help from from that. Well, it'd be easy to see somebody coming from pretty much every direction. It too. would, yeah. yeah, yeah. The way, and also the other thing that was really cool about it is the bay that it's on, the Boca Kotorska Bay. Mm-hmm. It's like it's it's almost like a fjord. I was reading. It's not yeah. quite a fjord because it doesn't quite qualify, mm-hmm. but you do go like all the way around and up and in. Yeah, this you know, to get to it. We, we were looking for it like out on the coast when we were trying to first mm-hmm. figure out where we we're going and we're like, coach, we're not on the coast. It's not, <laughs> it's like all the way in this bay. So, but it provides great access into the interior of right. the land. Once you get there. That reminds me, I did a behind the scenes tour of the ship that we were on. Mm-hmm. And when we got up to the bridge, we were asking one of the bridge officers, a lot of questions. And one of them was, you know, about, speed and things like that and navigate navigating ability and she actually said that talking about kotor specifically is they were limited to six knots in some of those places because it was so close to land and it was just within the shipping channels Mm -hmm. and it's not virgin that limited them to that like the the government limited big ships like that to that yeah yeah Yeah. and they had to give way to all these small ships so she said it took forever to get in and out of there because Mm -hmm. they actually have to squirrel around these tiny ships that are in there these Mm -hmm. tiny boats not ships these little tiny boats because the if you're not under power you give way yeah like the the powered ship has to give way to even the if it's a gigantic cruise boat to a, a fishing, cruise boat versus like fishing a, boat. a wooden fishing boat yeah so <laughs> yeah well yeah. that's anyway, the rules right yeah it was pretty cool yeah well the other thing that i loved about kotor is that it is 
it's a protected area basically. So through the UNESCO listing in part, what they decided to do was, was just not allow any more development Mm. in the whole, the whole area, the whole Bay area. And when we were leaving it, you, you almost cross this line and then all of a sudden there's newer buildings and newer structures that are being built. So one of the, that's one thing that they're trying to do to protect it in its original state. Yeah. You know, define original, I don't know, because it goes back 2,000 years, but then there's been various different Mm -hmm. occupations throughout the time. But, you know, to try to preserve it the way it is now and and stop it from being built over by urbanization, because there's a lot of tourism to this area. So, Yeah. yeah. Well, one of the last things I want to talk about, which wasn't really too historical, but we did the tour anyway. It was a tour of a winery. Yeah. And I, there are some actually historical events that took place. I'll just mention a couple things. First off, it took, what, an hour and a half to get there? Two hours? It was a long drive. Something like that? Almost yeah. two hours, yeah. And it was to that flat part I mentioned. Yeah. This entire flat area is essentially a vineyard. Yeah. It's the biggest vineyard, biggest continuous vineyard in all of Europe. Mm. And there were something like 9 million grapevine plants or something like that. I don't know what it, it was. was. huge. Yeah. If you look at it out on the aerial, like you can see it just is. Oh, it's all vineyards. All vineyards. Except for um, the one that we were on, they had 75,000 olive trees. I remember that. Number. Oh, yeah. Olive yeah. trees too. And yeah, they yeah. have some other stuff too, but mostly yeah. it's grapes. Yep. And like 75% of it was this grape um we had one wine called Vranic, which is mm-hmm. like the the everyday drinking wine of montenegro that these mm-hmm. guys make and it sells for like three dollars a bottle three, three euros. euros yeah it was so cheap they I'm just like, have hardly oh any God. taxes on alcohol and it they don't really export it too much they mm-hmm. do export it but but not a lot of places mm-hmm. and it's basically just like in montenegro and when we did a tasting at this place at sipkinik cellars which first off that place where they have their tasting room, their little shop, and then where they're storing all their wine is this rocky hill that's just kind of like popped up out of the landscape right next to the main set of hills that borders the valley there. And it was an old Yugoslavian secret airbase. Mm-hmm. And it was just back in 91 when Yugoslavia fell apart that that became abandoned. And yeah. then it was only... What, what did he say? It was only like 15, 20 years ago they started using it yeah, as a seller. Yeah, it's a seller. Right? Yeah, so it was cool that the planes would land. In fact, the entrance road into there was the runway. Yep. And it doesn't look like a runway anymore, but it's an oddly wide road. It, it that's is. really straight. It is very wide and very straight. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So as you're coming in, the planes would taxi in to basically where we entered into the cellar. They've built up some stuff around that now, so you could never taxi a plane in there. But before mm-hmm. that was there, there would be gates, I'm sure, and they would open it up. The planes would taxi in. They would come through, get serviced. And then basically get spit out the other side Mm -hmm. and then they would taxi around to the runway and take back off. Mm -hmm. And uh, now it's all French oak wine barrels and uh, bottles that are sitting aging in the bottle. Huge. Massive. Absolutely huge. And always stays at like 58, 59 degrees. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was nice and cool in there. Yeah. yeah. We had a delicious meal there too. Yeah. A a meal, a lunch, like a five course lunch paired with... Wines. wines yeah that's how they did their wines. tasting it was really really cool yeah and the wines were delicious we're, we're actually drinking one right now i know we found that we actually like white wine in europe old world white wine yeah, yeah. who'd have thought yeah i don't know well in, in the reds that we tried that veranic and then there was the next one up from that which is a little bit a little bit better quality of that i guess and, and that one was like 10 euros a bottle oh yeah so, super expensive high quality yeah yep we bought four bottles actually two of the red <laughs> and a white and a champagne well a sparkling yeah and it was 40 euros yeah it's amazing it. we were staying we knew we had three weeks to drink it so we're like why not grab some yeah, we it was some so up. cheap and yeah, yeah 
So anyway, one of the things I thought was really cool, we really love Old Vine Zinfandel and specifically from like Central Valley, California. That's really the only place that does it well in the United States, like Lodi. Mm-hmm. There's other, There's places, other places up in Napa, but that's Sonoma. our favorite. Our favorite is just from the Lodi area. It's all about the soils and the growing conditions. It's hot down there, which it needs. And it is just, you know, whatever the soil is, it just, they just do a really good Old Vine Zinfandel. Well, I told the guy while we were drinking that, I was like, this, this really tastes like one of those. And he was... He was, he smiled at that because, well, the reason is this is the ancestor of those vines. Yeah. This came before that. Mm -hmm. You know, the story goes that somebody took seeds basically of these, of these vines, these types of vines Mm -hmm. over to California. And then in Croatia, we heard this actually, they took these seeds over to California, planted them back in the late 1800s. And then the same guy or somebody else, I don't know, took the seeds that the, were the, the product of, of those. those. Yeah, yeah. Some of the some of the later varietals, but still from that ancestry, brought back to Croatia mm-hmm. and kind of reignited the what we would call old vines in, but they call something else. Mm-hmm. I can't pronounce the word. Yeah. It's the same thing in, in Italy. They call it primitivo. Yeah. Yeah, it's the same yep. thing. Just a really cool history and how all that goes back and forth. And mm-hmm. it was just really, uh, and I, really neat. It's nice that it, there's like a little bit of a connection to the States and then back to the old yeah. world again. It's You don't usually see the no. see it flowing that direction. Usually it goes there and stays rather than going and right. coming back. So that was cool. And if anyone from Total Wine is listening, I've looked on your website. <laughs> I can't find any Montenegrin wine. I did find some Croatian yeah, wine. But they were so good. And <sighs> they're so cheap. Come I can't on. even after like import tax and all the other nonsense it wouldn't be that expensive of a bottle no. of wine to buy in the states if you could just get it there so. which is probably why the uppity people in the united states us included wouldn't buy it it'd Look, be like a 14 bottle of red wine and we'd be like what's this Montenegro no, crap? you know that the price tag does not mean good or bad well, i'll tell you what anytime we go into total wine i usually head straight to the old wines in aisle and I'm going to have to check out the old have, world stuff. We are going to have to veer off into yeah. the countries, the different country the sections. Country aisles. <laughs> the country yeah. aisles. Yeah. Exactly. For sure. All right. Well, well we're going to drink our white here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cheers. What, what, what kind of this are we drinking? I know it's in the um, fridge. It's technically yeah. a Chardonnay mm. blend, which usually we don't like. Cabernet Chardonnay. That's right. Cabernet. I think yeah, I think yeah. you're right. So, so anyway, yeah. with that, we will... Go out and uh, we're going to do some exploring of Naxos. You're going to hear a few more episodes about Greece as we go along here because we've got three more weeks here. So we're going to see a lot more stuff. Yeah. We're going to Crete next week. We're renting a car. So we're going to be able to see a lot of that island. And then we're going back to Athens for five days before we head to the States to see a lot of stuff that we didn't have a chance. We're going to go to the Parthenon this time. We, we were only there for a day when we got here. So yeah, like we, we, we barely walked in and we didn't even see yeah. what we walked into the Acropolis, the lower stuff, but we yeah. didn't even get up to see the Parthenon and all that yet. So right. we'll do all that when we go back to Athens the last right. week that we're here. So yeah, more to come about Greece. I hope you guys like it. If not, Tell us and maybe we'll cut it short. We we like feedback. Yeah. You know, if you hate it, tell us, let us know. You can wait till the first week in November when we have a whole episode about the archaeology of Las Vegas. Oh, my God. See you next week. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>Thanks for listening to The Archaeology Show. Feel free to comment and view the show notes on the website at www.archpodnet.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ArcPodNet. Music for this show is called I Wish You Would Look from the band Sea Hero. Again, thanks for listening and have an awesome day.
This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.